is wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. You will see that we are jumping into the Christmas season. It's in the decor. It's in the, the sermon that, series that we're going to be going through. And um, it's just because Christmas is three weeks away. Aren't we excited about that? And uh, and there's a question that almost lingers in the air in this season. I'm sure you've been asked this question. I'm sure you've asked this question of others. It's in every classroom. It's in every car ride. It's in every home. And um, it, it's not the question, when will we ever see the sun again? Although that is a good question in the Northwest. It, it, the, the, the question actually solicits millions of individuals writing letters and lists about the answer of this question. The question, of course, being, what do you want for Christmas? And in fact, kids are asked this question so often that as a subtle form of rebellion, I have taken to asking kids, children that I meet, a different question. Instead of asking them, what do you want for Christmas? I have now begun to ask them, what are you getting me for Christmas? I just want them to know it's not all about them, okay? And just this idea of it's prevalent in our minds, the, the gifts and the gift giving. And in America, shoppers say that they will spend an average of $1,000 on gifts this year, up from, uh, it's about 10% greater than last year. That's a, a across the nation. In fact, across the nation, I found out that in photographs with Santa in shopping malls in America, they earn over $2 billion. <laughs> no wonder he's so jolly, right? Uh, in fact, the amount of trash generated annually from the gift wrapping and the shopping bags, 4 million tons of trash. Wow. And the Christmas season can account for as much as 75% of some companies' annual profit. And while this, this spending boom might be good for the economy, I'm not so sure it's good for us especially since a recent survey conducted by Piper Jaffray shows that roughly 40% of people surveyed don't even remember one thing they got for Christmas last year. Right now, do yourself just a quick survey. Cast your mind back. Can you think of one gift you got last year? Raise your hand if you can think of one gift. Yep, okay. You know why? Because you're especially thoughtful. That's why. You're especially thoughtful. Good. Okay, and even though presents are such a big part about what we do when we celebrate Christmas, doesn't this kind of talk just make you exhausted? Doesn't it, doesn't it just sort of feel like, oh man, that's the burden part of this season. That, that, that part feels like missing the mark just a little bit. Is that what it's really all about? Uh, maybe you've seen the movie A Christmas Story. But in this movie, nine-year-old Ralphie, he is on a quest he desperately desires a Red Ryder BB gun, right? And not just any BB gun, but it's the carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing which tells time. And he knows exactly what he wants, and it's this passionate pursuit that he's going after, and yet everybody he tells, his mom, his teacher, even the department store Santa, everyone he tells the desire of his heart, they all say the same thing. You'll shoot your eye out. That's right. You might have seen the movie, apparently. 
And, of course, irony of ironies, he gets this gift given to him by his grouchy, unpredictable father. And near the end of the movie, what does he do? He almost shoots his eye out, right? And, and so it's just kind of one of those pictures of the, the, this quest, this pursuit, what I really want for Christmas. Somebody's going after it with all they can and maybe that's you. Maybe if I ask you the question, what do you want for Christmas? You know right off the top of your head two or three things that, that you need, that would make your life better, that you would prefer. To, you know, I don't know how you, you would make that list, but, but I'm sure that many of us have like one or two at least thoughts about that. But, but the, the focus of this series, what I really want for Christmas, we're actually going to dissect and pull apart what's wrong with it. And the first thing that we're going to focus on, you'll see the title of the message, it's, it's the what. The what in what I really want for Christmas. That's what's wrong with it because it's not the what that we really want, it's, it's a who. So The what is wrong only because it's not really a what, it's a who. This sounds like a who's on first reference, it's not. But you see, the, the, the thing that we desire, the, the, the gift that we we truly hope we receive is relational in nature. In fact, Mother Teresa says this. She says, the biggest disease today is not leprosy or tuberculosis, but rather the feeling of being unwanted. The most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. And if we could dig down just a little bit, if we could drill down into sort of the soil of relationships, we recognize that, that even though there are many of us who are surrounded by people all the time, we have people in our offices, people in our neighborhoods, we've got people that are friends of ours on Facebook, hundreds, thousands of friends in social media, we've got parties and homes filled with people, and yet so often those individuals are the loneliest of souls. Those are the ones who are most desperate for a real friend, a real relationship. And so what it is that we really want, the, the desire that we really have, is for flourishing relationships. The, the desire is that each of us have key relationships, and we long for those relationships to flourish. If you were here last week, you might have remembered Pastor Pat was challenging us and sharing with us, and he talked about five words that we're seeking to construct what we do at Overlake, how Overlake family functions. And it's these five words that you would be loved and known and heard and supported and challenged. And as we think about these five words, we recognize that not only do we want every single person who enters into the ministry and the family of Overlake to receive these five words, we also want to build a family in which we can offer them to one another. And because we recognize that these are in so many ways the desire of our hearts. And this is why some of the most sincere, heartfelt Chris, Christmas lists mention the kind of gifts that, that simply break our hearts. For example, I want my dad or my mom to move back in with my family. I just want to get along with my brother or my sister. I want my parents to stop fighting. I want blank to truly hear me and not just tell me what to do with my life. I want real friends who actually know me and truly care about me. 
And this is one of the reasons why, in addition to this season being filled with fun and all kinds of festivities, that there's also an increase in sadness and in grief and even depression in this season. It's because of a reminder of relationships that aren't flourishing, how loneliness is a reality for so many. And so we're going to try something absolutely new. We're going to take a flyer and host a Christmas lament service here at Overlake on a Thursday night. We've never done this before, but we know that this season is so hard for so many. And so our desire is to gather together to name our grief, to feel our feelings, to understand our fear or the loss we've gone through, the pain that we're in, and then to seek to lean on Jesus as the source of our hope. And that's the desire of our heart. But what you need to know is that flourishing relationships rarely happen just by accident. You don't stumble into depth and truth. You must be intentional. Flourishing relationships must be pursued. And that actually leads me to the first fill-in. The challenge of this Christmas that you would pursue flourishing relationships. That I would pursue relationships that flourish. And this means being intentional, being aware. That's a part of the pursuit that we have. But being willing to humble ourselves and let go of entitlement. You know, entitlement that tells us that, that people owe us friendship. And so instead, we simply let go of that and, and begin to offer it. We know that the best way to have a friend is to be a friend. And so the challenge is for us to live our lives as loving and as giving and as caring as we possibly can. And I just want you to know it requires humility. In fact, you might want to write that down somewhere in your notes. This requires humility. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You might want to circle the words walk humbly. See, God doesn't require much from us. But one thing he does require is that we would walk humbly with him. That we would walk humbly in love. And so that might mean some things for us, right? That, that, that might manifest itself in many ways in our relationships as we seek to pursue flourishing relationships. Now, I just have to point this out. It, 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 you're going to find it's really common, but it's, it's wonderful to name this and bring it right in front of us. Just because you have a tendency in your relationships doesn't mean that it's always healthy. Just because you have a tendency, a way that you are, a way that your personality has formed over the years of your life, just because that's a tendency of yours doesn't mean that it's a good thing or that it's a healthy thing. And I'll give you just one example. I was talking to Pastor Dominic, our worship uh, pastor here at Overlake, this week. And he was telling me that growing up, he was the friend of his circle of friends. He was the friend that always had to be talked into everything. So his friends were kind of outgoing and gregarious. They always had these plans, these activities they wanted to do. But Dominic was more introverted. He was more happy to just to stay at home and hang out. And so they would always be coming to him. Hey, come on, Dom. Let's go. Let's go, Dominic. Let's be, let's be a part of this. Let's do this thing. So he was always like the reluctant introvert who had to be talked into activities. And that's how he was as a child. Basically, he was the German edition of a grumpy old man, okay? 
And now he's noticing that in his, he, he's been married, he's got a lovely bride, and, and in that relationship, it doesn't serve his marriage well to continue to operate in that tendency. That now it's much more, it's not as healthy for him to just have to be talked into things. Come on, Dominic, let's go be social. Come on, Dominic, let's go. You know, it, it's more healthy for him to learn how to be proactive. How to, how to come up with activities, how to suggest things that he and his wife can do together. Are you tracking with me? So, so here's the deal. The, the willingness to change your tendency requires humility. That's why I had you write that down, that it requires humility to be willing to change your tendencies, to, to be willing to pursue flourishing relationships, even if it means that you have to be uncomfortable as you learn a new tendency. And the next thing that I would challenge you to is, is be willing to speak gently and authentically about what your relational needs are. Be willing to, to think about these things thoughtfully and be able to express them. And by the way, this, I'm not suggesting that you do this at your Christmas office party, okay? This is not, that's not where you go full vulnerable, you know? But if you think about some of the key relationships in your life, your, 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 you know, the, your, your parents maybe, or your children, or your siblings, or, or even friends that are already dear to you, that you simply desire for that relationship to become even more dear, that you would be willing to to thoughtfully think about what some of your relational needs are and then go ahead and in a safe moment be able to express those things. I want to give you one recent example. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, my folks were up and, and they celebrated the, the uh, Thanksgiving with us. And um, my, my dad, many of you actually know my dad, been on trips with him, great guy. My, my dad has a lot of love for his grandkids and, and for myself, my wife Jody. But one of the things that was interesting as we spent the week together is he noticed and, and talked to me about that it was hard to connect relationally with his grandkids. And so I kind of started paying attention. And one of the things I noticed, even though there's a lot of love in our home, one of the things I noticed was anytime my kids would bring up a topic that my dad would share some statement of fact about that topic. My dad's very intelligent. He has a lot of expertise in many areas. He's got a doctorate. There's a lot of things that he knows about. He's traveled the world. So my dad has a lot of uh, statements of truth or fact or interesting tidbits, trivia. So he would often share one of these things. And I noticed that it cut the conversation off. That he would be the expert in that scenario. My kids would say, and then they would just go on about their business. And so I thought about that for a while. And then one morning, my dad and I are having an early morning coffee. Everyone else is asleep. And I just said really gently and tenderly, hey, Dad, can I, can I suggest something to you? He said, yeah, that'd, that'd be great. I said, whenever you share a statement of fact, that makes you the expert. And it seems to close off the dialogue. So I said, why don't you try this? When, when one of the kids brings up something... Why don't you, instead of stating a fact, why don't you ask 20 questions? Why don't you ask a question, and then as you listen to their answer, ask another question about the answer they just gave. And as they give that answer, ask another question about the answer they just gave. Because when you do that, instead of being the expert, you're making them the expert. 
instead of the expert receiving honor because he knows so much and has traveled so much and has so much wisdom, you now give honor to the, to the grandkid who's sharing. And, and I said, just see if it works. And if it doesn't work, you can go back to the old way. There's nothing lost in all this. And so that night, I, I noticed that at the dinner table, he asked my daughter Alex a question. And as she answered, he asked her a follow-up question. And then another question. And then pretty soon, and I think some of you already guessed what happened, pretty soon, my daughter starts asking him questions. And suddenly, instead of the conversation or the dialogue being shut down, you, I just notice it's taken off. The very next day, uh, my son Doozy, my dad, are sitting on the couch. They're reading a book together. And then, after a while, they put the book aside, and my dad starts asking Doozy questions about the book. What does he think about this? All of a sudden, this imaginative dialogue begins between them, and it just takes off. You know, it, it, it's so interesting that, that that would not have happened. I mean, I think it was the greatest visit he's, we've ever had together. But it would not have happened if I wasn't humble enough to gently suggest something that I noticed to him, and if he wasn't humble enough to receive what I gently suggested. Does that make sense? So that's why it requires humility. It requires humility for us to pursue flourishing relationships. Now, let me be just totally frank with you for a second. Uh, there are many stories that I could have shared about how I tried something relationally and it didn't work. In fact, for those of you who are part of Overlake for a long time, you know I often share failure stories. That's what I share most often are failure stories. It's actually nice to hear your pastor share a victory story every once in a while. Okay, But just know that, that sometimes you try your best, sometimes you, you, you are, are vulnerable in a moment and you're humbly pursuing a flourishing relationship and that door does get shut down. Sometimes that happens. But it doesn't mean that we can stop pursuing flourishing relationships. We have to because that's what we deeply desire. That's what we really want for Christmas. The second fill-in, if you're filling in the blanks, is we need to pursue restoration in our relationships, where they have been broken. Restoration. So this is where a relationship has suffered damage, a relationship has, has experienced wounding, whether you've caused it or whether the other person caused it. This is a commitment that we make to, in as much as it is possible with us, that we pursue restoration, that, that we pursue that relationship being mended or being healed. Even if it can't be totally healed, we, we pursue the trajectory of healing, that that's the direction we're moving toward. And what this means is that we are willing to forgive, that we are willing to forgive wrongs committed against us. I guess I should go back even further. It also means that we're willing to apologize when we've wounded others, that even if it was only a small thing that we've done to offend or to wound or to hurt, that we're willing to recognize that, to name it, and then to seek forgiveness for it. That also requires humility. But then that we have a, a willingness on our hearts that we are willing to forgive others. That we do not need to demand a pound of flesh from those who have wounded us. But that we're willing to, to take that, the hurt that we've received, and to offer that to Jesus and to seek forgiveness or, or forgiving someone. And I would say one step further on this road is being willing to tell the other person that you forgive them. 
being willing to communicate your desire for forgiveness, your desire for restoration in that relationship. And I know that it's uncomfortable, but, but recognizing that it was uncomfortable or painful in the past and then letting someone know you're not harboring ill will toward them, but instead you forgive them and you love them. You know, Colossians 3.13, the Apostle Paul says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. What's so interesting, Paul writes it here. He actually writes it in several places. The, the uh, conditions of forgiveness are not at all about what the other person did to wrong you. What the other person did to wound you or betray you or hurt you. The Apostle Paul says that's not the basis of forgiveness. The basis of forgiveness is how the Lord has forgiven you. So it all starts by looking up. How, how has Jesus forgiven you? How has Jesus viewed you and, and offered forgiveness for you in, in terms of how you have failed him or you've hurt him or you've sinned against him? And, and so because you've received forgiveness from Jesus, now that's the basis that we can offer forgiveness to one another. Martin Luther King Jr. says, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. That's powerful, right? Because we want to offer forgiveness. We want to receive and offer forgiveness because we want to receive and offer love. It's who we are as humans. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There are two concepts here. One is forgiveness and one is trust. And I want you to hear me correctly. I'm urging you to, to seek to forgive and to offer forgiveness to those who have wounded you. But what I'm not advocating is that you, if you've been abused, if you've been wounded in the past, that you then go ahead and place yourself in a position where you can be wounded or abused in the future. Because trust is a different issue. Let me be really clear. You can offer forgiveness in an instant. You can offer forgiveness right now. But before the day is out, you can extend forgiveness to those who have wounded you. That can happen in a second, but trust takes time to rebuild. And if someone has betrayed your trust, it is okay for you to walk cautiously into a rebuilding season where that trust is rebuilt over time. Does this make sense? Is this clear? So, so trust takes time to rebuild, but forgiveness can be offered in a moment. And it's really important for our own hearts to be willing to pursue restoration in our relationships. The third fill-in is the challenge to pursue peace. Peace within our homes, peace within our extended families, and peace within our friendships. And the kind of peace that I'm talking about here, the Hebrew word is shalom. For those of you who are familiar with the Hebrew concept, it is a concept that is an all-inclusive peace. It actually, the, the root of this word shalom is wholeness. It involves the whole being. It involves every part of who you are, that it would just be, you would be a pervasive peace in your relationships, in how you think about things, in, in how you feel in your own skin. It just, the, the peace would be felt all the way through your being. And we sang this earlier, that, that Jesus has come to bring peace. Isaiah 26, 12 says, Lord, you will grant us peace. All we have accomplished is really from you. 
In John 14, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. And the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3.15, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. You might want to circle that phrase. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. You see, peace comes from Jesus. And so, beyond the friendships that we can invest in, the relationships that we can enrich, the who that we most desperately want is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, right? Our deepest desire is to have a relationship with the Prince of Peace himself. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, as the deer pants for the streams. You know, I was thinking, I have never, I've watched a ton of Discovery Channel in my life. I've watched, you know, I love those nature shows. I grew up watching them, like Mutual of Omaha. I just, I love, I've seen like millions of pictures of deer. But I don't think I've ever seen a picture of a deer panting. Have you ever seen the deer, anybody seen a deer pant? And I think the reason why you've never seen a deer pant is because they are smart enough to know how to get water. I'm just going out on a limb. I think deer are well hydrated, okay? And, and the point I, I'm talking about, this verse, is as the deer pants for the water, the, the deer, in order to pant for the water, would have to be without water for a while and just parched. And yet... Isn't that how some of our souls feel? That without God, we're parched for him. It's only in a rich relationship with the Lord that, that we are quenched and that we are refreshed and that we're satisfied. It says, the deer pants for flowing streams. My soul pants for you. And since I, I have said that we have to pursue flourishing relationships, which I I believe that's true. We pursue flourishing relationships. It's important for us to note that Jesus has been pursuing us our entire lives. That Jesus is the one who eons before we ever thought to call his name, he's been calling ours. See, you have been in his sights. You have been a a target of his. You're an object of his affection throughout the ages. Jesus loves you, and he pursues you in love. And that's why it's great for us to remember this, this last fill-in, that remember that the giver is greater than any gift he gives. The giver is greater than any gift that he gives. And it's important for us to remember the gifts that he has given us. You know, we, we don't love Jesus because of the gifts he's given us, although we have to acknowledge and confess that he has given us so many great gifts. In fact, it is always good to draw our mind to the gifts that he has given. And so one of the things that I think would be great for us to do, I, I want us to do it in this month, but I, I want to give you a few seconds right now to do it. On the back of, of your handout outline, you'll see that there's a space for, it says Christmas list. And on that space, what I'd love to have us do for the next few moments, would you just write down some of the gifts that you acknowledge that Jesus has given you? Some of the good things that he's put in your life, some of the good relationships that he's brought. Let's go ahead and take a few seconds right now and fill that out.
wasn't that much time, but uh, better to leave you wanting more here. here here's the challenge. I, I, would, I would challenge you to do this through the month of December, that you would, you would try to bring to mind again and again the good gifts that Jesus has given, because this is good for your soul. But not only for your soul, this would be a good exercise for you to do with your entire family. That together as you're sitting around a table or as you're uh, just enjoying what this month brings and the time together, that you would spend some time together as a family unit talking about the good things that you're thankful for. And I just, I made a quick list. One of the interesting things that as God was bringing something to mind, I would write it down. And then every blessing that I had uh, written down uh, revealed a few more layers. And, and it brought to mind a few more things that I was thankful for under sort of that heading. And I even wrote down on, on my list, I'm thankful for my dog. Many of you know I'm not that thankful for my dog. So that must be the Holy Spirit telling me, you know, be, be thankful for your dog, you know. So there's just a lot of things here that, that I would say we want to make sure that our hearts are open to the good things that God has given. Look what it says in John 3.27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Friends, you know God has been providing for you your entire life. Every meal that you've been nourished by the clothes that you're wearing right now, the shelter that you or your family warmed themselves in last night, any additional blessing that God has poured out in your life in terms of love, in terms of friendships, in terms of humor, in terms of honor. And if you're employed, the gift of honest work. If you're married, the gift of wedlock. Job 33 verse 4 says it this, says this clearly, for the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Even the air in my lungs, he says, is a gift from God. Matthew 6, 11, give us today the food we need, recognizing every provision is from the Lord. And you could go on and on through your life and think about every gift that God has given you. And at the very top of this incredible pile of his gifts, you would place the gift of salvation where Jesus himself came to earth as a gift himself, and he lived a perfect life in the midst of temptation, the midst of trial, the midst of persecution. He modeled holiness. He modeled love. He taught grace. He taught truth. And, and then he went to the cross, and he suffered at the cross for crimes he did not commit, for sins that, sins that he had not committed, sins that I had, sins that you have. Right? He went to the cross in my place. And he was punished for my transgressions. And, and on the cross, he canceled the record of my crimes. And he erased the slate of my sins. He removed that shame from me forever. And he's the one who lifts my head. And he's the one who calls me his son. And all these things are contained in that most blessed gift, the gift of salvation. And many of you have opened that gift already. Many of you have received his gift of grace, his gift of salvation. But if you haven't, it, it's as simple as saying yes to him. It's as simple as, as believing in him today, believing and trusting in his love for you today. I would encourage you to open that gift. But I want to tell you very, very clearly that no matter how great the gifts are that God has given, no matter the size of the incredible mountain of all the blessings that he has poured out on you, lavishly opened the floodgates of heaven and blessed you again and again and again, and even the gift of salvation, all combined, they still don't add up 
to the immeasurable gift that is God himself, that is God with us, his presence with us, the goodness and the sweetness of being wrapped in his love and experiencing that intimacy in this life and then forevermore. Friends, the giver is greater than any gift that we could receive. And it's important for us to keep that in mind, his nearness, his presence. He is the who that we deeply long for. And that's why the gift that God gives is the gift of himself. You see, we read in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for a child is born to us, a son, God's son, is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'd love to have you circle Prince of Peace because it's that peace that we seek. It's that shalom that we want and and Jesus is the one who brings it. The Prince of Peace is given to us so that we would know him, that we would know his peace in our hearts and in our lives and in our relationships. You know, so much of the reason why we're able to have healthy and flourishing relationships with one another is because Jesus has come and he has brought us his peace. Wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he says, he is in their midst. And so it's his peace that is brought to us. We can forgive one another. Why? Because we have his peace that he has forgiven us. We can love one another well. We can love one another humbly and in a healthy way. Why? Because he has brought his peace to us. And so it's out of that foundation of his peace that we can offer love to one another. And so worship is the heart cry of those who know the giver. Yes, worship is also the heart cry of those who are thankful for the gifts that he has given. But friends, I want you to understand that the giver is greater than the gifts. And worship is a response that our hearts have when we come in the presence of the giver. So what I'd love to have you do right now is I'd love to have you stand. And let's give this moment to the giver in worship. And let's worship him for the gift of himself in our lives. Sing our valley low, I sing our 
You know, these things we've been talking about, they're, they're things that we desire, not just at Christmas. We desire them for all of our lives. And the reason why we desire them is because God desires them for us. He made us this way. He made us to be relational, to be known, to be loved. And so just remember, friends, that, that what we really want for Christmas, it's not a what, it's a who. We want the who of flourishing relationships. We want the who of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, so that we can experience his peace in all of our lives, his beautiful shalom. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do love you. We do love you and we worship you. And we recognize that the giver is greater than any gift. And you have given us so many gifts. But we want to say thank you for giving us yourself. We want to embrace you now. We want to worship you now. We want to live intimate with you, near you. We love you and we want our lives to reflect that love. And Jesus, right now, we want to lift up our relationships to you as well. And we ask that you'd show us how we can pursue flourishing relationships with those who are already important to us. We ask that you'd show us how we could pursue restoration and reconciliation. How we could live from a place of deep peace. Because we confess today, you are the Prince of Peace. We need you, Lord. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.